0: Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Um well, we're busy with our series The Greatest Story Ever, one story, one year. And you know, I've I've really loved this series. You know, something I I came to understand, when I was studying some world religions, at one course I was doing a course on world religions and just studying the different religions. And Christianity is so unique amongst world religions. And one of the things that makes Christianity incredibly unique is that it never ever graduates from the basics. Never ever graduates from the basics. In mean, every other world religion, there's these hierarchies and these, uh, these esoteric uh, levels that you go up, and you, as you gain more spiritual knowledge and understanding, then you, you get you know, initiated into these things. But in Christianity, we are all just Christians. It doesn't matter how mature you are, it doesn't matter what title you hold, it doesn't matter how many people you are responsible for, this is our story. So what are the basics of Christianity? Well, trusting Jesus for salvation. (laughs) Prayer, worship, reading your Bible, fellowshipping together. These are the basics of Christianity. And no matter how long you've been a Christian, and Mersha, I've been a Christian for 35 years now. That's a long time, longer than some of you have been alive in this room. Woo! Um, But all that you do in your Christian walk is you keep revisiting the basics and you get better at the basics and then you forget and then you come back and you do it again. And this greatest greatest story is actually also about the basics. We've covered creation. I spoke about that about four Sundays ago. This is what is called the meta-narrative of, Chris, of Christianity. Well, what is the meta-narrative? Meta is the thing that holds it all together. It's the one reason for all the information. It's what, so what that means is, is no matter... When Amre is doing her offering message, which was great, Amre. Thank you for that vulnerability. I could feel people being so encouraged. Uh, when, when Neo is doing communion, when somebody's preaching, when you're at Connect Group, no matter what you're talking about, if it includes Jesus, it's based on what we've been doing in the greater story. It's never anything but what we've been doing in the great story. And so we looked at the creation, the fact that we are indeed created, that a loving God chose to include us in his journey the story of God is the greatest story ever but it's our story as well because without us asking him (laughs) without us doing anything he decided he wanted to share his heart and his grace and his wonder with a with a partner and so he made human beings And, and here we are part of the of the narrative is the fall of man oh dear and I did say in the creation story that, you know, we give Adam and Eve such a hard time, but let's be really honest, if it wasn't them, it would have been one of us somewhere along the line. But that's part of the story. But God already knew that because He created us with free will. He already, he already had angels. This is, You know, I get these profound revelations from God. And one of them was, and you're going to laugh, I'm, I'm being silly when I say profound, but one of the most profound things I ever heard God say to me was, Greg, I made humans because I wanted humans. If perfection is what I was after, angels would have been enough. He already had angels, and they're awesome, and they obey him. One didn't once and, but that's been sorted forever. But God wanted something that was going to love him back because it wanted to. And we are created in His image. The Imago Dei is on every single human. It is marred by sin, but nowhere in the Bible does it suggest it ever left or got taken away. And why did He create us with His image? So we could relate to each other. You know, the prophet, I think it's Isaiah, he asks a really important question. He says, can a man know God? And the answer is yes. Will we ever fully understand Him? Absolutely not, but we can know Him. And that's what God wants. And this is the meta-narrative of Christianity. And then the next part of the story that is our story is Israel. Most of your Old Testament is, a, is, is history. Well, actually, maybe the prophets are a little more, but it's pretty close. Most of the Old Testament contains these history books. I was talking to a friend recently about reading the Old Testament and how crazy it is, how completely frightening it can be. And uh, if you've ever read the book of Judges, you know, if, you, if, got, if you're a new Christian or you, or, you find, or you get somebody to come to the Lord and they're a new Christian, never start with the book of Judges, okay? <laughs> and one of the things we were saying is that, you know, we grew up in Sunday school, so many of us, and Sunday school did this great thing of, of, of really cleaning those stories up and so when you're an adult and you read those stories for the first time, you're like, what on earth? This, this reads like a soap opera script. <laughs> and, and what's that about? Israel, the journey of Israel is, is first of all a prophetic picture of God pursuing us, of God making us into His people. But the Bible is so honest. If, if Christianity was a man-made religion, there would be none of those stories in the Bible. <laughs> Because they are crazy stories about human failing and about our heroes. Moses failed. Moses was a murderer. Did you know that? Moses was a murderer. David was a murderer and a serial adulterer. He's called a friend of God. So there's Israel and they're wandering around the desert and they disobey God and they disbelieve God and they don't have faith in God, but all God does is love them and care for them. The cloud by night that Mersha taught us about last week, uh, the fire by day, and she told us about the fact that, that eyewitness reports say that that cloud wasn't just a cloud, it was a mist cloud. It gave shadow and it kept them cool and it kept them watered and moist and it hid them from their enemies. The cloud by fire, the pillar of fire by night heated them. I've been in that desert. It is sweltering hot in the day and freezing cold at night. It kept them warm, and it terrified their enemies. Who in their right mind is going to attack a people wandering around with a massive cloud of fire? (laughs) But that's us. It's a prophetic picture to us. And the book of Judges, why is it written the way it's written? Because it's a warning to us. It reminds us that when we do not choose to obey God, when we choose to just do our own thing, it's going to be a nightmare. And it reminds us that we can repent. And it reminds us that God's the one who comes and softens our hearts and convicts us so we can repent and keep pushing into His purpose. And tonight we get to one of the main parts of the story. I mean, all of them are, but tonight we're going to talk about redemption. And next week, it's the end of the series. Pastor Lareko is going to take us into new creation. But redemption is that first part of it because it's so important. And whenever I think about redemption, I immediately have to acknowledge that every single Marvel movie, uh, what's the other one, DC, whatever, uh, is basically a redemption story. So I thought we'd elaborate a little bit more on on Spider-Man that I spoke to you about four weeks ago, Um, and I think you guys will probably know more about him than I do, but uh, Peter Parker is this young boy at school, he's a bit of a nerd, he's a little bit of a loser, Um, he's also had some real knocks in life. He's, He's been adopted by his aunt and uncle because he's an orphan. And we don't really know what happened to his parents. I try to find out. There's a lot of speculation, and the comics and movies are slightly different, but I'm talking about the movies. But he's a bit of a loser, and he, he doesn't really know who he is. But his aunt and uncle are not wealthy. They're, they're getting by, but having a, a rambunctious teenager in the house has brought a bit of financial stress to them. And then on a, on a school trip out to Washington, they're at the Smithsonian somewhere, and Peter Parker gets bitten by a radioactive spider. You know the story. And then he discovers that he's got some supernatural abilities. And when he discovers that he's got some strength, he, he's, he's still a nerd, but he's got this other space going on. And so he decides he's going to help his aunt and uncle with some money. Right, he wants to add some money. And he, re, he gets a get-quick scheme get-rich-quick scheme. sorry, because he wants to buy a car, because he wants to do some business stuff. He also really wants to impress the girl next door. Let's be honest about that. That's also what that is. And, you know, obviously, if you can't rock up in a car to take her on a date, she's not going to be impressed. So um, he he figures out he can do an underground wrestling match, and he can make some money. And he makes his own very first version, tracksuit version of Spider-Man, and it's ridiculous. And he goes in and he wins. But the promoter lost a bit of money because he thought Peter was going to lose when he looked at him. And so there's this whole moment where he, he kind of, he doesn't give Peter the full winnings. He cheats him out of winning. And Peter feels really bad about that, and he's really angry. And that same night, a thief comes in, and Peter sees him breaking in and stealing the promoter's money. But because he's so angry at the promoter, he wants to punish him, so he lets the guy get away. He doesn't use his superpowers for good. As Uncle Ben told him, with great power comes great responsibility, and he was very irresponsible at that moment. And he goes up, his uncle's going to fetch him, collect him, and he sees his uncle get carjacked and shot, and then Uncle Ben dies. And so Peter feels guilty. Peter feels fully responsible for it. So he has a burden. And everything he does from there is to try and fix that mistake. Now, later on, the movies get more and more ridiculous as we see Tom Holland step up into, into Spider-Man's shoes. And I think it's uh, No Way Home is the movie, and it's just totally ridiculous. But when we start No Way Home, um, Peter Parker's identity, Spider-Man's alter ego, his human face has been exposed on the screens of Times Square. Everybody knows who he is, and everybody's got a bone to pick with him. And he's also got this group of friends by this time, and they're all suffering, and they, they, they're thrown out of their universities. They're not allowed to go to university. And so once again, Peter is in a place where he is responsible for other people's pain. And he does what we do. He, he finds his friend, Dr. Strange, who is very strange. And it's some weird mix of occultic science. I don't really know where his powers come from, but he tries to get Dr. Strange to, to make it so that everybody who knew him would, would not remember him. But then he starts having this crisis, but what about my girlfriend, and what about this one? What? So then he's trying, to, he's trying to meddle in the spell that Doctor Strange is doing, and who knows, it just turns into a total nightmare. And so once again, Peter Parker, and we haven't seen the next installment of the movie, but everything he does is motivated by redemption. He's trying to redeem himself. Every single hero in the, the superhero universe is basically the same story. They're trying to redeem themselves. We've all made mistakes. Maybe it hasn't been quite as hectic as Uncle Ben dying, but it's hectic. We all feel guilty about something. We've all hurt other people. We've all messed up our own opportunities and our own lives. And we want to redeem ourselves. And so Jesus was a big fan of redemption stories, and he told many parables that spoke about redemption. One of the most famous is, happens because um, religious people are getting really upset with Jesus that he's spending more time with sinners than with the righteous Jews. And uh, they actually called him a friend of sinners. We use that title as a, as, a, as a worship phrase. We worship him with that title. We think it's amazing. But it, to the ancient Jews, what that meant was is he was c- ceremonially unclean. He was spending not time with just sinners, but Gentiles and prostitutes and tax collectors, the worst of the worst of the worst. And when they called him friend of sinners, they were were giving him the worst um, slur they possibly could. They were dragging him. They were were calling down major shade on him. But he, he tells them this story when they get up in his face and say, why are you doing this? Why are you spending so much time with sinners? And he tells them this. He says a man owned 100 sheep, but one day while he was away from home, one of the sheep was lost. He secured the other 99 sheep and went in search of the single lost sheep. He carried the lost sheep gently back to the 99. And Jesus said that the man went home and threw a huge party because he'd found this one sheep. It was redeemed. And Jesus applied this to the religious cloud, and he said that that lost sheep was like sinners who need to be found. And every single sinner who comes back there is rejoicing in heaven. And so redemption, the word redemption, means the action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil. If we expand it a bit, it is literally the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or clearing a debt. And so the lost lamb we've just read about is regained. He is saved by the shepherd. He is brought back to the flock, to the place where he belongs. He is regained from his lostness to his foundness. But the issue of redemption is about paying your debt. Peter felt like he had a debt to repay. He felt like he had planned to make money to help Uncle Ben and Aunt May, and then Uncle Ben dies, and now he's fully responsible for Aunt May. That's what he feels. He feels like he's got a debt to repay. And that is what redemption is. But we cannot repay this debt on our own. We cannot. It is impossible. And so Romans 5, verse 8 to 11 says this. You can read it up there with me. It says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through his Through the death of his son how much more having been reconciled shall be we be saved through his life not only is this so but we also boast in god through our lord jesus christ through whom we have now received reconciliation this is absolutely incredible that that shepherd going off to find his one sheep securing the other Most of us would just be like, 99 sheep isn't that bad, and we don't know where that other one is. Let's just stay at home and have a beer and watch the rugby, you know. But that's not Jesus. Why? Because of his love, because of his passion, because of his purpose. Jesus has a purpose statement, and it is, I came to seek and save the lost. He did it so well. We're sitting here today because Jesus came to seek and save us. It's the only reason we're here. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. If you ever doubt God's love, remember you're a Christian. (laughs) The only reason you're a Christian is because he loved you enough to come and seek and save you. You are the lost lamb brought home, celebrated over, rejoiced over, sung over, danced over cherished. He has demonstrated his love to you. We need to get better at feeling God's love. We need to get better at receiving and understanding it. But the fact that you are loved, you cannot dispute that. It goes further to say that his love goes even to every single sinner on this planet. You know that Jesus died for every single person who has ever lived or will ever live. Every one of them was included in the cross. Now, whether they choose him or not is entirely up to them. Remember what I said. Jesus wanted something that loved him back of its own free will. He doesn't force any of us. God is not a puppeteer. He is not a controller. He invites us. He draws us. He calls us. He partners with us. It's all on his terms, not ours. But it's up to us whether we agree. It's up to us to say yes. But while you and I were still sinners, he died for us. Think about that for a minute. You know, there's this thing in Christianity where we sin and then we stay away from God for six to 12 months. Why? When we were still in our sin, Jesus said, I'll die for them. I'll take that sin. I'll take, it's been dealt with. One of my pastors, one of the best things I was ever taught as a young Christian was be quick to repent. See, either Jesus is good enough or he isn't. And I think what, I know what was happening in my life. Let me not talk for anybody else, but I know what was happening in my life. I felt so bad when I sinned and I felt so dirty. And then I felt like I had to make myself clean and get worthy so Jesus could accept me back. That is nonsense. I don't know what religion that is, but it's not Christianity. And so when we sin, we should rely on His love that He has demonstrated to us and run back to Him immediately and be with Him and receive forgiveness and then do better next time. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? Justified by His blood. Justified means Deserving. We are not deserving. You and I deserve nothing. We deserve death and hell. But the blood of Jesus justifies us. Do you know that Jesus chose to be on that cross? I think there's a song that says his love held him there. It wasn't the nails. The Bible is so clear. At the appointed time, he gave up his spirit. The Romans didn't kill him. Our sin did. And he chose to be there. And when we were looking at creation a few weeks ago, I, one of my f- most mis- mystical things about God, and I just love it, in the book of Revelation it tells us that Jesus Christ is the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. And the picture I get when I think about that is God, the Father, calling Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity stands together Him going, you know what? We're going to make something that loves us back because it wants to. We're going to take this incredible family we've got and all the stuff that's happening here. Yeah? We're going to invite them in. And immediately the Holy Spirit goes, There's a slight problem. Like that, Jesus' hand is up. He says, I'll do it. It's fine. That's sorted already. Let's save me now. I'm, it's done. Let's go for it. And God breathes life into dust. Jesus already, from the foundation of the earth, from before anything was made, put up his hand and said, I'll be the lamb slain for the sins of the world. And so we are justified by his blood. And if we are justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through him who actually physically came and walked and gave us an example of what it looks like when when a human man submits to the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave up all his glory. Everything he had in heaven, he left it behind. And he became a man. This is fundamental to Christianity. Jesus is fully man and fully God. The Bible says that he was tempted in every way. Now, whether that's every sin or the categories of sin, I don't know. But what is absolutely for sure, if there was one sin that he was not tempted in, he had no victory over it, and we would never have victory over it. But he was tempted in every way. More than that, Jesus lived in a human body. He got cold, he needed to pee really badly. He got hungry. He got tired. We see him in the Bible withdrawing to quiet. What is that? Yes, possibly to go pray, but I think to just have a good nap. Jesus was fully human. And in his humanity, he submitted to the Holy Spirit. When we see Jesus doing miracles, he's a human being submitted to the Holy Spirit doing miracles. He's not the third part of the Trinity doing miracles. Do you get what I'm saying? This is so important because that's how we move, by the Holy Spirit. For if if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? When we were enemies, we were already reconciled. We just didn't know it, and we didn't know how to receive it, and we didn't know how to activate it in our lives. And we didn't choose it. But now that he's actually lived and given his life, oh my word, how much more reconciled are we? This is something I had to make peace with with God. God loves me because he chooses to love me. The end. Not because I'm worthy. Not because I have any great value to him. He chose you and he chose me. And he chooses everybody. It's up to us whether we will step in with him or not. But he loves you because he's chosen to love you. That takes a lot of pressure off you. Remember when I said Christianity? the point of Christianity is not perfection. If we could be perfect in ourselves, then why did Jesus die? What would the point possibly be? We cannot be perfect in ourselves, but we are perfect in him. And God puts Jesus in his glasses when he looks at us. And he sees us through Jesus. God knows our sin. God knows our faults. And we know them. We are so aware of them. We need no prophetic voice to stand up here and say, you're sinning. All of us would stand up and go, yes, you're right. Nothing prophetic about that at all. But God chooses to put Jesus in his glasses, and that's how he looks at us. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? This is salvation. Not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Say with me, I am reconciled. I am reconciled. And this is salvation. Redemption. Uh, The word redemption appears both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, redemption involves deliverance from bondage based on the payment of a price by a redeemer. In the Old Testament, when nations conquered each other, they took slaves. Or if you got yourself in real trouble, you could indenture yourself, another fancy word for slavery, to a master. But at any moment, somebody with the right price could come, your Redeemer could come and pay that price, and you would be set free. Sounds, sounds like what we're reading here, doesn't it? Um, redemption in the Old Testament um, had to be something that was substituted. There had to be a substitute for the person or the thing being delivered, because it wasn't just people, it was also land or property. A substitute had to be made. And there was a space where if you couldn't afford money, somebody else could step in for you. Something had to be given up or sacrificed in place of the person, property, or right to which one had a previous claim. Sounds exactly like what Romans is talking about, doesn't it? In the New Testament, um, it declares that Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel's messianic hope. And in him, the long-awaited redemption has arrived. Deliverance of humankind from its state of alienation from God has been accomplished through the death and resurrection of Christ. In the New Testament, redemption requires the payment of a price, but what is being ransomed is not material, but rather it is the hearts, the souls, the spirits of human beings. Humankind has been held in captivity of sin, from which only the atoning death of Jesus Christ. Can liberate. So Peter thought he could redeem himself. Peter Parker thought he could redeem himself. And that's why he chooses to be Spider-Man. But he just keeps making it worse and worse because only Jesus can redeem us. And this is something we also have to make our peace with. Isaiah says our righteousness, our attempts at righteousness, us being good, it's good to be good. <laughs> But if you're just good without Jesus, you're just moralistic. Those are the two extremes of sin. You do understand that, hey, I'm either completely self-righteous, moralistic, or I'm completely depraved. Most of us are actually a sliding scale somewhere in the middle. (laughs) But both of those are sin. Because Isaiah says, your attempts at righteousness are filthy rags, stinking rags. God has no interest and no inclination to accept any of that. But the blood of Jesus... The death and resurrection of Jesus, oh my word, we are there. We do indeed need redemption. And so redemption is the promise of God to deliver us from the power and presence of sin. Romans 5.12 says that sin came into the world through one man and death, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. So what is Romans five twelve saying? Who brought sin to the world? Not a trick question. You know the answer. Who brought sin to the world? Adam, the first man, right? And so through Adam, every man then had sin. That's the sin nature. And as I said, if it hadn't been Adam and Eve, it would have been George or Billy or Susie down the line, and that's who we'd be talking about tonight. But it was Adam. He was the first man. And because of the rebellion they had in the garden, they were cast out of the garden and had to live the results out of their sin. Um, So Adam, the very first man, brought death because you you do know that when God created Adam and Eve, they were meant to live in their natural bodies forever. How old was Adam when he sinned? How old were Adam and Eve when they were thrown out of the garden? you know, when we read Genesis, we think it's, it feels like a week, you know. <laughs> God made Adam, he named the animals, he cried, a, he cried for a companion, he got Eve, uh, they got married, and the next day they ate the apple and then they were done, you know. But they could have been two billion years old. We have no idea how old they were when they left. But part of the curse of sin, and, and rebellion brings decay, that's the issue. So, It wasn't even... God, there's a curse pronounced, but all God is saying is, because of the decay, this is what's going to happen. And because of the free choice you've made, I can't undo that decay. The only way I can undo that decay is to annihilate everything and start again. But that's not the plan. That's not the greatest story. Because the fall of man is part of the story. Because without the fall, there can't be redemption. Um, And so, part of that decay is death. Natural death. We understand... That death is not natural. Because when somebody we love passes away, our world falls apart. If evolution was right, we'd be like squirrels. (laughs) Oh, Bob's gone. Where's his nuts? Let's carry on. But that's not how we are when somebody (laughs) dies. Sorry. It takes us a long time to recover from the loss of a loved one. And what's happening? No matter what you believe, you are experiencing the unnaturalness of death. That it should never have existed. So Adam brought death to the world. Prior to their rebellion, Adam and Eve had unbroken fellowship with God, unparalleled intimacy with each other, and undisturbed enjoyment in their Edenic environment. There has never been such a time as theirs when humans exercised biblical dominion over creation, complemented each other so completely, and joyously lived every moment of every day under the rule of God but there will be again. The Bible envisions a day when these broken relationships will forever be restored and God will dwell with his people as he did in the beginning. And that's the issue of redemption. Without redemption, there can't be a recreation. There can't be an end to the greatest story, a very satisfying conclusion that we are fully, the whole universe is recreated back into what God intended to be. We're going to jump to number two, which is that redemption is already accomplished, but not yet complete. You know that frustration you feel in God when I was talking earlier about the waiting and the wanting and the desiring and the seeking and the crying? That's supposed to happen in Christianity because He's been here, He has come, but it is not yet finished. It's happened, but we are still longing for it. We want union with God. We want to be completely and fully present with Him. And that's what's happening in the longing. That's why you get so upset when it feels like God isn't answering your prayers. But it has to be there, because until we're standing in front of Him face to face, we're not fully fulfilled. And so, as that says... redemption is already accomplished. It is finished. It is done. But it is not complete. We still live in a fallen world. We still live in a broken world. We still live with people who choose to sin. We still choose to sin. Can we just get honest here? We choose to sin. But, oh my word, we can choose to make right with God. Let's do that quickly. As I said, humans still retain the image of God, the imago Dei, which accounts for any semblance of goodness and enables any sense of progress. However, life is not as it should be in this fallen world. And the Bible tells us that there is one common plight for all mankind. Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Before Jesus, all of us are dead, spiritually dead. There's a spiritual death and there's a physical death. Without Jesus, we are all spiritually dead. All of us will have a a physical death. There's no way we can escape it. No matter how much spirulina you drink, no matter how much you exercise, no matter how much Botox, you go, one day, your body will cease, but your life will go on. And so spiritual death is being distant from God. Because of sin, we are separated from God. And we need a mediator to bring us back. Otherwise, we are doomed to eternal death. And that's the greatest tragedy. Because that's a choice. It's a choice we make. So the second Adam brought death. Sorry, the first Adam brought death. But the second Adam, Jesus, brings life. The first man brought rebellion and destruction. The second man, Jesus, brings recreation, hope, expectation. Redemption is literally the reversal of the fall. That curse that was spoken, Jesus became a curse so we could be blessed by God. It says in the Old Testament, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree, who dies on a tree. The cross is a tree. He became a curse so we could be blessed. Do you understand how powerful this is? Do you understand that there's no part for you in redemption? Your only part is to say yes. There's nothing else. The price is paid. In the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, uh, the the Lord instructed Moses uh, this very detailed plan of how to build the tabernacle. And... um, one of the images is the, the actual walls of the tabernacle were um, acacia wood that had gold beaten over them, so these big planks of acacia wood. And acacia wood's knotty, and it's, it's uneven. It's not particularly pretty. They, cedar would have been way better if they wanted perfection. But in the Old Testament, anytime you read about acacia wood, it's talking about flesh. It's talking about humanity. We're gnarled and knotty and uneven and not easy to work with. Gold in the Old Testament is, is indicative of the presence of God, the anointing of God, the grace of God. It's God. Um, and so what did God ask them to do? They beat gold over acacia. And they beat it on so smooth that you could still see the grain. You could see the flesh through the glory. But what is, what is absolutely beautiful about it is those boards were then hung on silver hooks. Silver in the Old Testament is redemption. Why? When they came out of out of Egypt, there was this prophetic picture where the Lord said, everybody must bring a shekel of silver, a silver coin. Why? It is the redemption price. And they brought it to the priests, and that was used to make those hooks. So your flesh is covered by God, but then it's hung on the redemption of Jesus Christ. See, again, God wants humans. He made humans because he wants humans. And when we go to heaven, we are still humans. We're some kind of glorified human. Angels are a completely different species. No human has ever transmogrified into an angel. It's impossible. So in heaven, we will still be human. And so this is why redemption is the reversal of of the fall. The curse that was spoken, Jesus is undone. He he got the curse. God is just. Somebody had to bear the curse. The curse was prophesied. Somebody had to fulfill it. Well, Jesus did. You and I don't have to anymore. Romans 3 verse 23 to 24 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Peter Parker thinks he can fix himself. He cannot. The best thing Spider-Man can do is come to Jesus and receive salvation and get healed and use all that power for God's glory. You know that you and I are superheroes because of the Holy Spirit, because of Jesus. And we have come to Jesus for salvation. And we are using the gifts he's given for his glory. When Amre gives her testimony, she's very humble. This is an incredible, amazing woman. When she says she's working longer than she ever has, I have known her for a long time. Amre works hard at everything she does. Amre, I am not surprised they gave you such a good raise because you are valuable. Even in the fighting, you are valuable to them. But all of us have value. All of us have meaning because we have God inside of us. He lives inside your heart. And then we get to be part of reversing the fall. How? Because we obey Him. Where Adam and Eve rebelled, we can obey. Where Adam and Eve chose their own will, we can choose His. We can be examples to the whole of creation, again, of what a human being looks like when they submit to the Holy Spirit. And just to really make the point, you know, only Jesus can redeem us. That, bringing that silver shekel was a prophetic picture. That silver shekel didn't redeem anything in you, but it told them of the one who would come and pay all the silver shekels at once. You never need to bring a silver shekel to God, your price has been paid. But what you and I do have to do is submit. What you and I do have to do is push into a relationship with Jesus. And how do we do that? Through the basics of Christianity. Prayer, reading the Bible. Part of the reason we're doing this is because we want to remind you that Jesus is in every verse of the Bible, on every page of the Bible, if you will look for him. And the challenge of my life is I can read the Bible for information, I can read it to tick a block, or I can read it for fellowship. I can read it until God speaks to me and my heart changes. And even that is my choice. He's there, but I have to go seek him, and I have to go find him. And so redemption is nothing of me, everything of him, but he calls us into partnership. He says, come, come, come and know me, and then let's walk this journey together. But it's on his terms. I know I'm frustrated in prayer because I'm praying my will and not his. And hear me, God gave us dominion over this earth. But we know his heart. We are responsible. In in our recent build conference, one of the preachers preached and he preached the, he said this. He said, "God has delegated authority to you." Now you're going back to God and you're asking him to do it. What's going to happen? It's your responsibility. So the prayer should be, God, help me to do what you've asked me to do. Help me to figure out what you've put inside of me. Help me, Holy Spirit, to realize you are with me every second of every day and let me get busy with what you've asked me to do. And then let me run to you and hold your hand for five minutes so I get strong and brave to do it again. Because I I lose bravery so fast. (laughs) But I hold his hand for five minutes. Worship, fellowship, prayer, Reading my Bible, that's how I hold his hand. And then I remember, I have a job to do. He's given me a job to do. You have a job to do. Do it. Do it the best you can. Some people's jobs are really big. Some people's jobs are really small. You know what? In heaven, we all get a medal. And the medal is the same size. There's only one question God's asked. Did you do what I asked you to do? Doesn't matter if your job was this big and somebody else's was this big. God couldn't care less. The medal is the same size. So just do what you have been asked to do. And because we are the redeemed of God, we can. We are set free. And so when we pray, don't beg God. Don't beg Him. Read your Bible and then tell yourself what it says. You know, do you know that that's what worship is? God doesn't care whether we worship Him or not. Hear me. When we sing songs to God, it reminds us of who He is. When we sing songs to God, it puts us in a place where we're close to Him. He never moved. He never changed. It's good to worship God. But the point of worship is us coming close to God. Do you, do you get that? He's great. He's, he, God is so convinced of who He is, He doesn't need us to remind Him. <laughs> but we need to remind ourselves. And so I hope tonight that you have realized that you are redeemed. I hope tonight... That you have realized you are loved, and you are wanted, and you are cherished. And I want us just to take a minute and close your eyes and just where you are, contemplate that. What is, it, what is the implication for your life that you are redeemed? That your sh- silver shekel has been paid fully and completely? That you are reconciled to God? What, what's going to change in your attitude this week? What's going to change in the way you live before God and people this week? because you've heard this, just take a moment. Father, we we bring these things before you, these ideas of how we're going to apply this to our life. And Holy Spirit, first of all, would you just secure that in our heart, that we are redeemed, that we are the beloved of God, that we are called and chosen and wanted and cherished and loved. And then God, as we've thought of these things this week, help us to practice them, Lord God. Help us to step out boldly in agreement with you, knowing that you've got us that you hold us, help us to do the job you've called us to do, Lord. Not to make excuses, not to think less of ourselves, Lord. And help us, Lord, help us to seek you out, help us to fellowship with you in everything we do. Help us to find you in every scripture we read. Help us to find you in the middle of every situation of our lives, every problem, every blessing, Every circumstance, Lord, help us just to find you in the middle because you are with us. You are with us. And just where you are, begin to just thank God for the the fact that you're redeemed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for being our redeemer. Thank you for paying the price. Thank you for taking the punishment. Thank you for taking the curse. Thank you for giving us life, life, life. For giving us joy and peace and love and hope. Thank you for your kindness and your goodness. Thank you for your help, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, really go out this week and just be the redeemed of God. You can go look up that psalm. It says, "Let the redeemed of the Lord say so." They're not saying so. they're saying, "I'm redeemed." And be the redeemed of God this week. It's going to be awesome. God bless you guys.